Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I am uh, lifting up. Oh, well, first of all, good morning. I sometimes forget in the second hour that it's not the second hour for everybody. Hello, hello, greetings, grace, uh, joy, peace, all the good things. Um, good morning. This is Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for joining me today, bringing me along with you wherever it is that you are going or wherever it is you're settled in for the day. Um, all right, I want to lift up this story out of Turkey because the Turkish media uh, reporting of this the 18th century Idemitri Monastery, uh, the chapel of this very historic um, facility, has collapsed. Um, and so you're going to you're going to see some people point to heavy rains uh, in the area as the reason um, that the that the monastery that this chapel um, has collapsed, this church facility. But the real story is that uh, treasure hunters have been undermining the foundation of the building, digging around the foundation, weakening the structure for years, for years. And you can only undermine the foundations of the church for so long before it collapses. Okay, if I have to unpack that further for you, um, then you haven't been paying attention. You can only undermine the foundation of the church for so long before it collapses. Now, I'm going to be quick to say that the church uh, invisible is absolutely enduring. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing is going to bring it down. The foundation is secure. However, the visible church, the visible church, has been undermining its own foundation for years. And I'm talking there about the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And once you have undermined uh, the the authority of the Bible for the life of the Christian, once you have undermined the authority of the scriptures in the life of the church, once you have basically said, oh, well, you know, the Bible might say, but we know better. The Bible might say, but we feel differently. The Bible might say, but, you know, that, that's not the God, that's not my God. And you still hold yourself up as a Christian and a church leader. You have effectively undermined the foundation of the church, and you can only undermine the foundation of the church for so long before it collapses. And so if you're wondering how we got here, uh, if you're wondering, you know, how, uh, how the culture has reached this point of crisis, um, it's, you know, you can lay a lot of responsibility at the feet of Christians in the United States of America who have been actively undermining the foundation of the church, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the authority of God um, uh, for all things in life. And you can say you can you, you can only undermine the foundation of the church for so long before it collapses, before its witness collapses. And so it is time for us to restore the word of God to its rightful place in our lives. God to his rightful place of authority in our lives. It's not just the author of salvation. He is the authority over us. 
Um, all right. So you can use this headline story out of Turkey where this church has collapsed because its physical foundations were undermined by treasure hunters. And you can ask yourself, um, was Jesus right that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? Am I seeking my treasure in him? Am I seeking first uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Am I, um, am I building my life on the sure and certain foundation of Jesus and his, uh, and his crucifixion and his resurrection? Am I building my life on the sure and certain hope of salvation in him? Am I building my life, um, you know, not on the shifting sands of the days in which we live, but on Christ? Yes, there's a parable about that as well. All right, so we will... Uh, we are going to certainly return to this story about the the collapse of this uh, this physical building, this church in um, in Turkey, because wow, it is an abs- it is an actual physical story about a spiritual reality. You can only undermine the foundations of the church for so for so long, um, treasure hunting before it collapses. All right, Bill English is up next from BibleandBusiness.com. Tons of great new content there. We'll be right back. All right, joining me now, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. You can follow him on Twitter at BibleBusiness. Bill, welcome back. Hey, thanks. It's good to be back. How are you doing this morning? I'm, I'm, I belong to God, and he is good. Isn't he, though? And he is good, Psalm 119 says, all the time. Amen. All Amen. the time. You know, I was thinking about your lead up there, and I was just wondering, those who undermine the church, that's really the sheep and the wolves analogy, or or motifs, so to speak, right? You know, we have wolves in sheep's clothing in the church Absolutely. when they undermine the Word of God. And uh, boy, if there is, if there, I, I have a, I'll just say I have a person here in the Twin Cities I know that went to a very respectable seminary and um, was teaching a heresy here on social media, and uh, few things get me more angry than that. Uh, this guy has quite a following, and uh, and yet he teaches uh, things that are clearly unbiblical in the name of Jesus Christ. It just, it, those things anger me more than, more than almost anything else. Well, and they, uh, they give non-believers and nominal believers fodder to hold up uh, and and say, you know, look, Christians say that these things are okay, or Christians say that these things um, are, uh, you know, are appropriate or legitimate. And, and the rationalization to use very, very bad theology um, to to get away with anything, I mean, including murder via abortion in the culture today, like is right, extraordinary. Right, right. It's just extraordinary. All right. Um, not our subject matter for today, although good, uh, yeah. good. No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, the people of America are um, many, many, many people in America struggling right now. The yes. numbers are pretty astounding. COVID has upended um, the finances of many, many Americans and certainly small businesses uh, tell us where where we are and um, how the stimulus maybe has worked and what this next round of stimulus might mean. Whenever the government says yes to one group, they always say no to another. That's kind of the headline here. 
And so when, when the government put together, when the Congress put together this stimulus package, they helped an awful lot of people who needed help. But by definition, the stimulus package, as any package is going to be, is going to leave some out. And so uh, those who were helped by the stimulus are actually doing pretty well. Uh, based on This is based on a Wall Street article called uh, COVID Upending America's Finances and Small Business. And it was recently published uh, in the Wall Street Journal. And so um, uh, those, those people are doing well. And the other people who, uh, for whatever reason, didn't fit the criteria, didn't fit the, the element of what was needed uh, to qualify for stimulus money, uh, they are not doing well at all. So, for example, I know of a very small business here in the Twin Cities that I that I am working with, and because they all five owners are are contributing their time to get the business going, they didn't qualify for any stimulus money because they didn't have any payroll against which to apply, right? Because mm. the stimulus was based on payroll. Their business is really hurting, and they personally are hurting. Uh, because of the COVID pandemic, but the stimulus didn't cover them because they didn't have any payroll. They're, they're owners who are trying to get this business off the ground. That's an example of, of how the, the, um, the bill helped a lot of people but didn't help everybody. So when we think about the, uh, the situation of, uh, of Americans today, you know, some people who are listening are you know, a part of – uh, of the average household whose net worth is up, um, at least right. based on cre- credit scores, or whose 401ks are up, investment portfolios are up, um, who've Correct. been able to buy or <clears throat> refinance, uh, buy a house or refinance a mortgage at these really historically low rates. There's a lot of other people, a lot of other people, um, who are going hungry, uh, standing in food distribution lines, um, and particularly families with kids. So it, it it is a pretty stark division. It is, and I think it's made more stark by the stimulus bill. Had the bill not been passed, we would have had uh, exponentially more people in the hungry category. Okay, hmm. so I'm not I'm not down on the stimulus necessarily. Uh, I just wish that it had covered more people. You know, the hungry. Um, you, you you cite that 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 uh, statistics almost twenty percent now. Of, of families with children experience hunger at some level right now. And uh, that you know what that means is that when you go out in public, for every 10 people you see, probably two of them are experiencing hunger. They, they don't have enough food to eat. Uh, that's why uh, I think getting with the food banks, and you and I have talked about this in other spots, getting with the food banks, uh, donating food, donating money to those who are, are providing food, food, uh, you know, uh, lunch programs at school and all that kind of thing. That's something that that the church and us as individual Christians ought to be a part of. Yeah. Federal food distribution um, actually continues from um, from school districts across the country. And so I want people to be aware of that. The one in my own community, because it is actually under accessed, is available to everyone. Uh, You just uh, drive by and pick up the food box at uh, at your local school. I know that's not true everywhere. But um, encourage you to check into food distribution in your own zip code and see um, and see what is available because um, there 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 are significant efforts to to distribute food right now to those who are hungry. All right, Bill English and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. God is on the moon. 
Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Uh, check out, uh, he's got a ton of new stuff posted there. I encourage you to check it out. You can follow him on Twitter at BibleBusiness. Um, all right. So, Bill, talk with us about the change of name for the St. Paul Chamber of Commerce. It's really a rebrand. Uh, same organization. They're 150 years old. Uh, they have dropped the uh, of business part. Most of them, most or, uh, cities have Chamber of Commerce. They say so drop the of commerce part. And they're now called the St. Paul Area Chamber, 1,700 members. St. Paul, over the 150 years, has gone from being almost exclusively white and male to uh, a community with significant ethnic and uh, various income diversities uh, within the community. And so they thought it was time for a change. And uh, they are partnering with some uh, area uh, uh, cities around them. Uh, if you live here in the Twin Cities, we're talking about you know Roseville, Maplewood, St. Paul, and others. And they are uh, really focused mostly on diversity and diversity of business ownership, that kind of thing. Uh, they, they've also, by the way, incorporated the Hmong Chamber of Commerce here as well as the Oakdale one. So it's, if, if you're in the Twin Cities, this is about uh, par for what I would expect for St. Paul. Uh, for those who don't live here in the Twin Cities, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul are two very different cities. <laughs> they just are. And, uh, but, uh, but the chamber has changed its name, and it's really uh, highly focused on diversity now. So people um, who are listening across the country may have never been to the Twin Cities. Um, the geography of the Twin Cities is fascinating, uh, and it has tons and tons of little neighborhoods. Like, it just, yes. just it's amazing. It's a, it is a very different kind of not only city, but cooperative city. Like, and so, um, you know, when you think about the Twin Cities, um, I don't know what's what's at the heart of it for you. Like when you, I mean, you live there, so what's at the heart of it for you? How would you describe uh, the Twin Cities? I would just, <laughs> you know, that is a really good question. This is what um, I get paid I for. I, would, I get paid to it, ask really good questions. That is it. That is my whole job. You know, I think they should give you a raise to at least ten dollars <laughs> an hour. That's that's what I think. Um, you know, I I guess I describe. Um, as two very different cities, Minneapolis is. Uh, gosh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get uh, in trouble here, no matter what I say. Look, I think Minneapolis is the more um, is the more uh, uh, modern and the more uh, hip city. St. Paul is the more sophisticated, older, wiser owl type of city. Nice. Uh huh. Aren't we glad that the I University of Northwestern is in St. Paul? Northwestern to me is right in the middle because they're right they're they're just north of the fairgrounds and the fairgrounds is always thought to be equidistant between the two cities. But really? I, making yeah, it fair. I, making it fair grounds. Oh. <laughs> Do you know that's why they were called that? Because it was where you went to compete with your neighbors. It was it was the place it was the fairgrounds upon which you could compete with your neighbors about like, you know, whose butter was better or whose cake was better or whose cow was better or right. These were the fair Grounds. That's it. That's what I got right. for you. Right. So I would I would look at at the University of Northwestern and, and disclaimer here. My son is a senior there and will be graduating uh, with a uh, major in Woo-hoo. philosophy. Uh, uh, but I, I would I would describe Northwestern as the campus, anyways, is more St. Paulish. 
right? It's it's just a very beautiful older uh, architectural uh, campus. It's, beautiful. it's just beautiful. It's beautiful, but it is yeah. not liberal like St. Paul. It is. It has really stuck to the scriptures. St. Paul, this this diversity thing, just nationwide now, this diversity thing really focuses on making man as the center reference point for our values. And I, I'm just wondering how long we're going to try this experiment before we realize that man is never, or any characteristic of man, is never a sufficient reference point to get... Uh, lasting eternal values uh, that really work in life. I, I, I'm just wondering about, about this. I'm sorry, but you were going to talk about no, the, the, so the no, I want to build I want to build on that because I, I think you're making a really astute observation and um, I would like to drill down even a little bit further. It's not as if humanity has become uh, the, the the question, um, humanity writ large or even, human beings, um, what's best for mankind or what's best for humanity. That's not even the question that's being asked. It is It is far more specific and personal. I think we have arrived at a place where not only is all politics personal, all politics is individualistic. Yes. And so yes. it's more it's more today mm-hmm. about the self, the the individual self than it is about human beings, humanity, community. Um, it, it's just a very, very strange uh, time in which we live. It's really some, boy, uh, it's really hyper selfishness. Like mm-hmm. When I go to church, I want it to cater to me. When I go to a business, I want it to cater to me. When I in, work with God, I want him to cater to me. When I go to a, uh, a college, I want the college to cater to me. It's all about me. And not just about me as a person, me based on my identity which is based on in my uh, sexual orientation and my ethnicity and that kind of thing. So how you treat another person just like me who has one characteristic different uh, should be, they, they should be treated differently than how I'm treated because my characteristic is different than yours. And we're no longer at the persona level, we're at the characteristic level of individuality. And uh, it just seems to me that at some point this is going to fall apart. I, I just don't know when. And, and look, look, let me, let, me, let me just say this. Our, our sexuality, our gender, our race, our humanity is, is sacred before God. There is nothing unsacred about that. But at the same time, we can't make that the center of our value system because we're not a sufficient reference point within ourselves to right. uh, build upon transcend uh, to build transcendent values. We're just not. Amen. Um so I have uh I've now mentioned it uh twice on today's show and I guess I'll just keep talking about it. Carl Truman's new book um is a must read. It's a it's a heavy lift. Um your son as a uh as a student of philosophy would thoroughly enjoy it. Um and based on what you've just said, you would not only enjoy it, you would very, very quickly apprehend it. So it's it's on, okay. you know, how we got where we are in terms of our understanding of the, quote, self. Like, that's what the book's about. So Wow. Um, and, right, and what, get, what, what's the I, name of the book? I'm sorry. I know. I know. It's It, it should be called. I keep advocating that they change the name of it because um, <laughs> I can't remember the name because it's. Oh, I'm sorry to put you on. You know, Paul. The has, Rise Paul and Triumph of the Modern Self. 
the rise, the rise and, triumph and triumph of the modern, of the modern self. Okay. Yep. I I'll just talked with him it. about it on um, on Monday. Oh, did you? If okay. you want a little primer. Yeah. All right. Hey, yeah. thanks. We got to leave it right there. Love talking with you. Um, happy you New bet. Year. Looking forward to uh, the unfolding conversation. You bet. Blessings. We'll be right back. Hey, that's uh, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. All right, that break point just going to freak people out. Um, yeah, you got to check out what the Colson Center is doing. I love John Stone Street. He is one of my uh, personal favorites. And um, wow, that break point was, I don't know. Paul, are you ready for the ham-human hybrid? I am not. I'm not either. I, I am not. Okay, uh, next mm-hmm. up, Sheridan Voicey. Um, we've talked to Sheridan on occasions in the past, uh, he and his wife, Marin, are, uh, are precious souls. They are, um, uh, Sheridan is a radio personality in Great Britain. He's also an author. Um, and he has a, just a really like, genuinely beautiful new book. It's called Reflect with Sheridan. And he's going to uh, join us to reflect on Reflect. That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Can you imagine, just for a moment, how it feels to be out of hope? If you can, you can relate to many people in this world. For many people, life is a jungle. Our jungles are composed of thickets of contagious diseases and broken hearts and empty wallets. Our forests are framed with hospital walls and divorce courts. What would it take to restore your hope? Three answers come quickly to mind. The first would be a person who knows the way out, someone you can trust. And from him, you need some vision, someone to lift your spirits. Perhaps most important, you need direction. If you have someone who can take you from this place to the right place, (laughs) there, now you've found someone who can restore your hope. Jesus offers to do this for you. Or to use the words of King David, he restores my soul. This is Max Locato. Sheridan Voicey, uh, he is um, a voice on broadcast radio on the BBC. Uh, he blogs and writes at SheridanVoicey.com. He is the author of several books, and he joins us today to talk about uh, his latest book, Reflect with Sheridan. Sheridan, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, always good to talk to you, Carmen. Good to be with you. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. So um, when I when I just take the word reflect, um, I am drawn to a mirror or a lake or um, the eyes of another person. Talk with yeah. us about the process of reflection, um, because I feel like that's going to help people understand what what's in this book. Yeah, right. So, you know, just those images that you've raised there, they give us this ability to stand back, but somehow to see what is in our lives. So, uh, you know, a mirror or a river where it's reflecting back to you, you're separate from it, but you're able to look on it. So it kind of objectifies it. And I think that's the essence of reflection is taking a moment to step back to allow the kind of the big picture of our lives to be shown before us. And that takes time. 
and it requires that we have uh, we allow enough time and peace and presence to allow the dots to connect, to allow the pieces of the puzzle to find their way together. This bit goes with that bit, that bit goes with that bit, so that we can see a, a whole picture of our lives. And I think that reflection is a really lost art. It is ultimately the art of seeing the meaning in our lives, and I think we've been, become way too busy for it. So one of the entries um, in Reflect uh, is about the process of reading back through your own journals over like a 10-year period of time. So mm-hmm. I'd, like, um, I'd like for you to just share um, about that, turn to that passage if you want to, or just reflect with us on, on that process, not only of journaling, because I, I, wanna, I want you to encourage people to do that in this new year, um, but then also what you kind of learned by going back and rereading them. Oh, I am a big champion for uh, journal writing because it is just such a simple practice and it's such an accessible practice uh, and it's such a valuable practice. So I want to also, before we even go any further, is also kind of raise a bit of a caveat to all of this. Whenever I talk about um, journaling to people, I tend to get one common response and that common response is... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I can guess. I can't do that every day. I can't do it every day. Exactly. You've got it in one. <laughs> Maybe you've been there. I've, I've been there, man. Been there. Right, right. Somehow we got this idea and people have, you know, just passed it on from era to era that if you're going to journal, you have to do it every day. I say, who said that? Where? I will go months without writing something in my journal and other times I will write in it every day for weeks on end because I've got a lot more to process and a lot more to go through. Uh, I find that that one idea has been the thing that has stopped most people from utilizing this absolutely wonderful spiritual practice. So putting that aside, if you have just a simple uh, spiral-bound hardcover notebook, that's all you need. You can pick it up from the supermarket. I have got shelves full of these that go back now over maybe two decades. And all you need is that. And you use it when you need it. Now, I use it for basically recording four things. Highs lows, questions, and discoveries. So the highs of life, you want to kind of record those big moments. Uh, my wife uh, <laughs> turned out as to be the lead statistician on the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, something well, that we praise, never foresee. Praise God for her, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, when she came home that night and told me that they had a vaccine, that they'd proved that it was working, that went into the journal. That was a high. <laughs> mm. Now, lows. If anybody was to ever pick up my journal and read it, which they never will, that's the other little lesson, by the way, your journal is for your eyes only. It's between you and God. It's not even really, although you might want to offer access to it to your to your spouse, but it's not really even for them as well. You need to have a journal that you don't feel like you're editing yourself as you're writing into it just because you're thinking somebody else is going to read it. Just keep it for you and God. But when you write down the lows, as I do, There is something very special that happens to them. They get off your soul, they get onto the page, and somehow they're able to be objectified. And with that, you're able to pray through them and not just get kind of caught up in the kind of, you know, tentacles of the emotions of everything that's going wrong. You can put it down the page. The amount of times that I've been exhausted, and I kind of go, why am I so exhausted? And I've just kind of started to journal my feelings, journal the week that I've had, journal the last few months that I've had. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) So highs, Lowe's questions. What are the big things you're wrestling with at the moment? Might be a big theological question. 
how can God allow suffering? Uh, how can I find my identity when I, I thought I knew it and I don't know it, what it is anymore? Might be a big uh, question that you're wrestling with. Might be something to do with your kids. Throw that into the journal as well, because it's amazing to see over time how you get answers to those. And then discoveries. When you find the answers to those questions, when you discover a big life lesson, pop that into the, the diary as well, the journal. I have written books out of those journals by simply going back and reading over a decade's worth of highs, lows, questions, discoveries, and be able to mine them then for, for things that I can pass on to other people. So I'm guessing that um, Reflect uh, contains some just almost straight-up journal entries. Um, I have uh, selected several that are my favorites. I, these are the ones that I loved. A Mighty Symphony, Through a Truck Driver's Hands, that might be my very favorite, Transfiguration, Ray's Brightest Day, What ha Happened in Cell Block 3, um, and becoming your true self. But there's just so many. So when we come back from a very brief break, we're going to have um, Sheridan Voicey read one of the entries from Reflect, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, this is Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Now I'm Continuing my conversation with Sheridan Voicey, you can find him at SheridanVoicey, V-O-Y-S-E-Y dot -E com. Um, I remind you when you go there, if you don't already have a copy of The Creed, um, one of uh, my favorite disciplines that's been offered to us on this show in the past. So encourage you to check that out. Today we're talking about his latest book, Reflect with Sheridan. And I have asked Sheridan to read one of my favorite passages, which have come to find out is one of his as well, Through a Truck Driver's Hands. Yeah, I was giggling before the break because all the ones that you were listing off that were your favorites actually turned out to be my favorites as well. So we've got a lot in common, Carmen. But yeah, this is called Through a Truck Driver's Hands. And I think the listener will realize why it's our favorite. One surreal December morning, Marin, my wife and I woke to the news that her father was in hospital after a serious car crash, and my father had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, to complicate matters, my father is my mother's full-time carer, and they both live in Australia. So with both parents now needing care, and us so far away in another country, some stressful days followed. Merrin's father began and a, a slow and gradual path back to recovery. The nature of my father's predicament meant a longer journey lay ahead. The plan for him was to have the tumour removed and then for chemotherapy to begin. We flew to Brisbane to support him as the operation approached. And when Sunday came, we visited his church too. And there a man named Helmut approached me who said he wanted to help and would soon be in touch with some ideas. Now, in all honesty, I wasn't sure anything would come of it. Many people promise help without following through. Well, two days later, Helmut arrived on my parents' doorstep with a notepad in hand he'd written a list of tasks they might need help with. He said, you're going to need some help with meals. You'll probably need them delivered after the operation. I'll arrange a cooking roster. Then there's your mowing. Well, I can do that for you. And what about rubbish? When is, your, when is your rubbish collected? What day is that? And when do you do your shopping? And down the list he went, sorting out everything. Helmet is a retired truck driver who now spends his days helping the elderly, the homeless and others in need. When I asked how this compassion developed, he said it started when he became a Christian, actually at the age of 45, so a little bit later on in life. His experience reminded me of something that the philosopher Paul Moser once told me. He said, the greatest proof of God's existence isn't the world's beauty or our innate sense of right and wrong. 
It's the love that flows out from a person when God becomes the center of their lives. Well, we landed in Brisbane the day of Dad's operation and to the news that his tumor was too large to safely remove. His chemotherapy was delayed too. After three weeks in Brisbane helping in other ways, Dad told us to head home to the UK as we'd done all we could and Helmut was now there to help. Marin and I returned, but we were still a little nervous. Would Helmut follow through when the real needs hit? Dad had several rounds of chemotherapy in the months that followed. Helmut drove him to the hospital each time. The lawns are mown. The fridge was full of meals. It felt like we'd been touched by God through a truck driver's hands. I, I love Helmut. Like, I can't wait <laughs> to meet him in heaven. I love him. You know what? I first shared what I've just shared with you then on BBC Radio 2 here in the United Kingdom, a secular radio network, walked into the studio, gave it, walked out. I walked into the producer's studio and there was five producers in that studio and all of them were dumbfounded. They said, do you mean people like that actually exist? Mm. And, you know, here's the power of these kinds of acts of love, Carmen, is that they are a witness to the very existence and reality and love of God. And that's why you've had that experience. I've had that kind of experience when I first met Helmut and those producers. They said there's something, we see something else in that that is just beyond human. There's something divine in what we just experienced. So in sharing um, that picture, like, right, you have shared, you have shared this, um, this kind of long extended picture of this individual and his love. Um, and you have shared enough about him that I am able to understand where his acts of kindness come from, where his humility from, you know, the well from which his humility and acts of service are drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I already know him to be a brother in Christ, and that's precious for me to know. There is something about simply telling the stories of um, of the kindness shown by the people of God whose lives have been transformed. Um, that's very, very powerful in the world today. Uh, and you've, you've borne witness to that in your testimony about the reaction uh, of your BBC producers. Um, talk about taking pictures, because part of what like, is literally beautiful about this book, the book is Reflect with Sheridan by Sheridan Voicey, um, is that every page has uh, beautiful, beautiful photographs. Talk about taking pictures um, with words, but also through a lens. Oh, well, now you're talking my language. Photography is uh, a uh, a hobby of mine. I really should be spending more time on it because it gives me such joy and it gives such uh, such elation. Um, I would love to say that all the photos in Reflect with Sheridan are mine. They're actually not. Very few of them are. Uh, I don't have the range to do a whole book of them. I hope one day maybe I will. But here's what happens with photography is we get to capture a moment and we need to capture, we get to capture that moment, capture the beauty of it, maybe even capture the ugliness of it. We capture something that actually has meaning. And if it exists in time and space, it is part of a story. So there is the connection between photography and storytelling is that when you take a, a picture of, say, it might be something as basic and everyday as a car on a street. Now, why is it that so many of us are drawn to those old classic pictures of old classic cars on the old classic streets. Maybe it might be our very own street that was taken back in the 20s and 30s as we captured something of that street in that moment in time, in that part of the street story. So 
there is something very meaningful about photography. Some have even said that, you know, you can make a spiritual practice out of it because it teaches you to kind of stop and to pause, to, to, to look, to frame and to capture something of the beauty that is standing right there in front of you. Um, I, so I'm, I'm right into that. And I think we should develop, you know, photography as a spiritual practice a little bit more. Um, is that Rupert we hear in the background? I was hoping you wouldn't be able to hear him. Could that he come on? Rupert. Uh, Rupert has a friend. So Sassy is here with me in studio. She is studio dog, um, but she is very, very quiet. Rupert, um, I happen to know, is your walking companion in the woods. So I, I suspect that um, he figures largely um, in your in your reflections from time to time. There is actually a, uh, a an entry in Reflect with Sheridan that is all about Rupert. And in fact, uh, it is one of the most, one of the ones that actually has hit quite a few people, actually, because it turns out to be a wonderful illustration of repentance. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if we've got time for me to read it. Sure. <laughs> there he goes as well. Okay. Well, do if you want me to bring him in, I'm going to have to open the door and uh, no, go and no, fetch him because I've kind of shut no, him no. downstairs. But anyway, let, let me introduce the listener to, uh, to Rupert via this story. So this is called Wide Open Fields. There are so many things to love about my dog, Rupert. His silky black fur, the way he greets us each morning, wriggling with excitement, how he chews leaves, tugs at our laces, runs off with our socks and unravels toilet rolls. One of his most admirable acts is taking his collar in his mouth and walking himself round the room. Now, as a puppy, we faced one major battle with our bundle of canine cuteness. And I tell you what, the battle I'm having with him now is to try and keep him quiet. He's barking at somebody outside as they walk past our door. Taking Rupert to the park was the big problem we had back then because it meant pulling him out the door and dragging him up the footpath. We had the whole world to show him, but he was too afraid to see it. Now, one day, finally successful in getting him to the park, I let Rupert off his leash as a reward. Naive. He gave me a mischievous look. He took his collar in his mouth. Then he sprinted around the corner and down the road. And by the time I caught up, he had made it all the way home back to his place of safety. Now, it reminds me of a time I got talking to a man sitting next to me on a plane. As we started taxiing, the man apologized to me. He said, I'm going to get drunk on this plane. I said, it sounds like you don't want to. He said, I don't, but I always run back to the wine. Now, he did as he said. He downed three bottles of red wine during that flight. And the saddest part was watching his wife greet him enthusiastically on landing, then smelling his breath, then pushing him away. Drink had become his place of safety, but it was no safe place at all. One of the first things Jesus said when he came on the scene was, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Now, repent just means to change direction. Don't run back to the safe places. Don't be ruled by your fears or addictions. You can be ruled by God himself, who will lead you to new places of life and freedom. Well, things progressed with Rupert. I took him back to the park a few days later and let him off his leash. He didn't run home this time, but followed me into a wide open field. And there he ran and barked and wriggled with excitement. Sheridan Voicey, uh, thank you so much. I uh, want to encourage people to visit Sheridan's website, SheridanVoicey.com, V-O-Y-S-E-Y. The book is Reflect with Sheridan. Um, please give Rupert a little uh, rub behind <laughs> the ears um, and give Marin our greetings as well. I really will come and great to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. Likewise, just a delight. We'll be right back. 
loved how Rupert participated as if on cue. Yes, so um, don't be afraid to cry out to the Lord today. He loves you. He is near to the brokenhearted. He is very present in times of trouble. Uh, Whatever it is that you are facing today, um, God is with you. God loves you. And so lean on him, rely on him, talk to him, ask him questions, open his word. Encourage you today to um, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Saturate your life with the word of God. Um, Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.